This is Nemesis State Hoka for NAGM Tablet. I'm speaking today with Dr. Jamie Stoller, the chair of the Education Institute at the Cleveland Clinic. Jamie, what else can we be and should we be doing to better position our rising and current physician leaders for success in these roles? Yeah, your comments uh, are heartening because it, it, it clearly indicates that this awareness of, of engaging teams and changing the traditional formula is, is endemic. I, too, like you trained at the Brigham, and there's one small anecdote about modeling behavior, which is a core leadership competency. I remember rounding on Dr. Bernie Lowndes' service, and uh, one of the things that I've, I've embraced from, from that experience was Dr. Lowndes would enter the room. Of course, there was an entourage behind him, of which I was one when I was on his service, and I remember distinctly, and I've, I've employed this myself in terms of modeling behavior, in this case, a clinical pearl. He would come to the door jam on leaving the room after uh, addressing the patient and examining the patient, and he would turn to his fellow or whoever was walking out of the room with him within earshot of the patient, but at the door jam, addressing a comment not to the patient, but clearly audible by the patient. He would say, my goodness, she's doing well, right? Right, mm -hmm. so, so you know, small, nuanced things like that become powerful drivers of not only how we engage our patients, but how we engage our colleagues. To your point on modeling behavior, this comes really from a larger rubric, and then I'll address your question about how we train doctors. It comes from, uh, there are many models of leadership, uh, not specifically regarding healthcare. I happen to like them among uh, several of those, the work of Kuzas and Posner in a book called The Leadership Challenge. They talk about five leadership competencies. What, what are the essential characteristics of great leaders based on data? This is an observational study they did in which they interviewed individuals in healthcare, in, in sectors other than healthcare, and asked them, tell me about the characteristics of a great leader that you know. And then they did kind of a multivariate thematic analysis and extracted five themes. And these five themes are, number one, great leaders challenge the process. They see the current state of reality, and they search out new and innovative new future states. The second is that great leaders inspire a shared vision. They, they envision an uplifting and ennobling, you'll notice the appreciative terms, future. And they enlist others in a common vision by appealing to their values, interests, hopes, and dreams. The third is that they enable others to act. So this is in the context of servant leadership. Great leaders facilitate others' leadership rather than hoarding leadership. Again, uh, requires a little bit of reframing of, of what we do in medicine. The fourth, exactly as you said, great leaders model the way. They behave in ways that are consistent with the espoused values, so that if I insist on, on punctuality, then I need to be on time for rounds, etc. Uh, much of parenting comes from the same concept, uh, as, as I'm sure we're all aware, for those of us who are parents. And then the fifth is encouraging the heart what they call encouraging the heart, which is reward and recognition. It's the notion that we compliment others on the contributions they've made to a collective effort in public forums. There is nothing more heartening than being acknowledged and recognized. Again, this is a departure from a somewhat deficit-based view uh, that traditional training has, has inculcated. And so those five things really frame. Now, having said that, you asked me, how, how do we begin to change this? And and I believe that, that we need to start early so that we need to begin to select medical students, 
on criteria that, that go beyond the traditional academic criteria that, that are really based on their proclivity, personality proclivity, and phenotypic proclivity for these traits. Number two, in the earliest points of medical training, in the first day of medical school, we need to begin to espouse these values and offer some training, again, not necessarily as comprehensive as might occur with a graduate degree, but some training and some awareness on our medical students and our graduate medical trainees' uh, behalves of, of what these competencies are. And, in fact, there are many programs, including the, those that we've implemented here at the Cleveland Clinic for, for now many years, in which we, we offer this curriculum to our medical students, to our trainees, to our colleagues in a very interdisciplinary way. This is not confined to physicians. These leadership competencies uh, and the concept of teamwork requires that we embrace an interdisciplinary approach that when we offer leadership development in a course called Leading in Healthcare, which we've offered for more than a decade here, this is doctors, nurses, and administrators selected and learning together. And so I think that we need to have a consistent curriculum from the earliest phases of medical training that then tracks through GME, tracks through CME, uh, and is addressed to all levels of the organization, not just the most junior, but also the most senior, and creating the expectation that leadership is evaluated on the strength of not necessarily only one's academic performance or clinical performance, but rather on one's leadership performance through the lens of emotional intelligence, et cetera, if that makes sense. No, it, it absolutely does, and, and I fully support it and, and would, would emphasize two of the points that you made, which is this important one, that if we're going to spend effort training people, then we need to make sure that we're evaluating it along the way. And I think physician development and feedback is, is often where our system falls, falls short uh, a little bit on, on many dimensions, including the one on, on leadership. And then the, the second point to highlight is the importance of making sure that these values are embraced all the way through to the top of any organization. So the the C-suite and and the board of organizations needs to recognize these skills as as, as critical and important and 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 tie metrics and potentially even compensation to some of these behaviors yeah. and, and making sure that they're they're cultivated. I couldn't agree more. I, you know, I um, consider myself fortunate enough to live in an environment in which, in fact, we have annual reappointments. There, there is no concept of tenure at the Cleveland Clinic, and in fact, each of us is evaluated on an annual basis. And uh, the more senior and the more leadership responsibility one has, the greater the lens around one's leadership competencies, not necessarily one's RVUs or, uh, or or clinical metrics or even CV. You know, how many R ones and papers and so on, high-impact publications, those are clearly important. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But, but I, I think that increasingly as one has leadership responsibility, the accountability is around leadership, uh, which is really how leaders exercise their influence on organizations and can move the needle. So accountability is a huge dimension. It shouldn't be a sort of Damocles. It should be an environment in which these competencies are celebrated and modeled and espoused, as you point out, at the highest levels of the organization. I admire and respect your, you and, and the Cleveland Clinic for your great work in this area. 
When I think back to those five leadership qualities that, that, that you mentioned, like challenging the process, inspiring a shared vision, enabling others to act, et cetera, those are not unique to physician leaders. So when I think about this term physician leader, there are those that are physicians who happen to lead, and then there are leaders who also happen to be a physician. When you think about these five qualities, which of them are specific to leaders who happen to be physicians versus leaders who aren't physicians? Well, I think they are, as you appropriately point out, they are generic leadership competencies. Having said that, they all have specific nuances within the context of healthcare. So when we talk about, for example, modeling the way, examples of the sorts of things that you've described in terms of how you pick up a team, that Dr. Lown would do, um, et cetera, uh, those are the specific contextual examples in, in healthcare. When I think of that, those models, and there are many leadership models, this being one of them, um, I, I think of the overarching concept of emotional intelligence as a, as a kind of a unifying field theory, if you will. And, of course, this is a model that's been developed by several authors. Peter Salovey is now the president of Yale. Uh, Richard Biotsis is one of my colleagues at the Weatherhead School. Uh, some Israelis named Baron. These three different models of our emotional intelligence articulate essentially the capacity to understand your own and others' emotions and to motivate and develop yourself in service of improved organizational performance. And when people think of EI, or emotional intelligence, they, 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 they fragmented or segmented into four quadrants, if you will. Imagine a two-by-two two table. The right upper quadrant is self-awareness. And, and underneath these buckets, there are individual competencies, a total of 18 in the traditional model by Boyasis and, and others. In the right lower quadrant is self-management, the ability to be emotionally um, in control, being transparent, being adaptable, being optimistic. In the left upper quadrant, one has social awareness, the ability to be empathic, to, to be service-oriented, to have organizational awareness. And in the left lower quadrant, one has relationship management, the idea of developing others, uh, understanding change, knowing how to navigate conflict, being a team player and knowing how to build teams and cultivate collaboration. So if one unpacks this model of emotional intelligence and the 18 specific competencies, many of those are specific examples, again, not unique to healthcare, but certainly needed in healthcare, that frame the, the, the components, the elements of, of, of an effective leader and certainly of an effective physician leader, in, in our view. That makes sense, and I would, I would also say that of those 18 uh, competencies, we are specifically talking today about physicians, but I'm presuming you would agree that this translates to all clinician leaders, not just those with a, a medical degree. Uh, absolutely. Let me underscore that. I, I wouldn't want any of this to be construed as um, some kind of hierarchical competency for leadership. I think that every caregiver in, a, in healthcare is advantaged by this training, and in fact, Modeling the behavior about this, if we, if we really start to talk about behaving in ways that are consistent with our espoused values, when we teach this material, we teach it in interdisciplinary ways so that there are docs, nurses, administrators, all together, uh, allied health providers, all together in the learning environment, learning this stuff together, uh, which, of course, 
models the behavior about the importance of teams. What I really like that you're doing is talking about the fundamental skills that are needed, whether you're a physician or not. And if you are a physician, then the unique challenges that you face as the medical director, CMO, CEO of an institution, this this translating between the clinical environment and the non-clinical environment rings really true to me because I live it every day, and I would argue that it's why many people might actually stop practicing. Mm-hmm. It's, they all say it's because of time, but I actually think it's because it's more about the transition between those environments. Um, yeah, no, it, it requires energy to be nimble. It's also a function of how doctors are trained, right? What, what we do clinically is we translate continuous biologic variables like systolic blood pressure into dichotomous decisions. We decide to treat or not treat, you know, when the systolic is 141, but not when it's 138. And yet, you know, we all recognize that that's a naive biologic concept, right? And at the end of the day, 138 is just a little bit less than 141. And so clinical medicine trains us to actually think in what Collins and Porus and Good to Great call the tyranny of the ore. So the, the conversation gets stuck at physician versus non-physician because physicians embrace this dichotomous thinking because of how we're trained mm. clinically. And, and what Collins and Porus advise us is that we need to embrace the genius of the end. And so the genius of the end is we can be great doctors and we can be great leaders. The, the most celebrated leaders are people who are actively engaged in clinical practice and who are seen by their colleagues in the real context in which they relate to one another. Again, it's a reflex that comes from practicing medicine, but it works against us. It conspires against us from an organizational point of view. And that's where we have to be nimble and reframe. I couldn't agree more. And on that note, we will end the conversation for today, but, but look forward uh, to continued dialogue in this, uh, in this very important arena. Thank you so much, Jamie, for spending the time today speaking with us. My pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity.